Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. Okay, Flip Your Lid audience, I have a very impressive man in front of me right now. His name is Mako Nagasagwa, and he is an author. He's an amazing man, and I'm going to let him speak um, about his accomplishments, who he is. But Mako, thank you. Welcome to Flip Your Lid. Thank you, Kim. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for having me on. It's good to see you. And your wife's a therapist, right? She is. She got her master's of social work from Boston College in 2008. That's awesome. And has uh, done a a number of things, but right now she is a uh, private therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, Since the pandemic, she's been doing all of her uh, meetings on Zoom and at home and in our bedroom. And so I'm exiled from our bedroom. (laughs) But there could be other reasons for that. We won't talk about that. that won't, <laughs> we won't even go there. It's too soon. It's too soon, right? Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I would love to meet her one day. I'm in private practice as a therapist and love attachment theory, love neuroscience, yes. love interpersonal neurobiology, all the things. And they may have taught that at Boston College. They sure as heck didn't teach it at University of South Carolina. I can promise you. Mm. We, didn't, we didn't learn much. So I applaud her because I'm sure she did a lot of extra work to know what she knows. Yeah. 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 That's how it is. Okay. And we have a foster uh, daughter. If uh, we, We've had a foster daughter for five years now. So that yeah. that's a lot of yeah, that's li- lived experience. Okay. So when this is over, you're not going to talk about your foster child. Great. Okay. Because I got questions. Okay. Fantastic. All right. Okay, everybody. Thank you all. Y'all are listening to our personal conversation. Y'all are being nosy. Stop it. Now the podcast is really going to kick off. So here we go. So tell me what flipped your lid and what measures you had to take to reconnect to who you really are. Mm, Such a good question, Kim. Um, What flipped my lid? I would say it was a a process in my 20s of learning that um, God's justice is restorative and not Mm. retributive. And what I mean by that, just in case, I mean, that's, there's some technical stuff in the background, but, but what it means is that um, it's not that God is always backward looking and, you know, just keeping track of things because I, I offended him. Like I, I stole paper from the office and that's uh, deserves infinite retributive wrath. Right. Um, you know, in the same lines of, of Hitler's actions, you know, or something like that. But yeah, the, absolutely. But in, instead, God is forward looking um, and he mm-hmm. he is preparing me, training me uh, for more of himself and, wow. you know, more uh, love, receiving his love, more giving mm-hmm. of his love. Um, and that does mean that, you know, my choices matter uh that the 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 choices i made in the past and how how those relationships have gone that totally matters but for the sake of forward development more relationship more community more intimacy um more partnership Mm. and so you know that's the main difference between retributive justice and restorative justice retributive justice is backward looking Mm. um you know, it, and, and um, restorative justice is forward looking. And, and so the, the way I think I, I felt that the most was when I started to, uh, I, I was given an assignment when I was a senior in college, I was 22 years old, and it was to um, try preaching. And mm-hmm. it, it was to a group of guys that our college pastor had called together. And he was teaching us how to do expository preaching. And it was uh, in Rome. I was given the assignment Romans 6, 1 through 11, which says, of course, uh, you know, um, don't sin because that's not who you are anymore. Right. Mm. Shall, shall we sin so that grace may abound? No, because you've died and risen with Christ. What what I thought was was um, uh, I Christ died in order to take the retributive punishment that I deserved because right. otherwise that was infinite wrath for me. And, um, and instead, and so I didn't know what Paul was talking about, like yeah. what, 
I thought you were, you were saying that Jesus died ahead of me, but I thought Jesus died instead of me. Right. That's right. And so, and this whole thing of uh, restorative justice, like becoming the person that God always intended for me to become in Christ was mm. kind of um, started to dawn on me because I was studying to be, or I was thinking about becoming a teacher, like a high school teacher. And um, Life didn't turn out that quite that way, but mm. that's what I was thinking at the time. And so I knew that... Um, the one of the one of the most effective one of the least effective things for teachers to do with uh, students that are struggling academically was to mm. say, um, <clears throat> you know, what are these grades? Mm. Uh, what are you lame, right? Mm. Or what are these grades? Don't you know how much I've sacrificed for mm. you? Yeah. And uh, instead, the most effective thing is to say, what are these grades? This is not who you are. Yeah. Right. Is to separate. It's to recognize the action and the behavior, but it's to separate that from your core identity. And and I I could see that Paul was doing something similar as it relates to our identity in Christ. Like, right. don't don't sin anymore because that's not who you are. You have died and risen with Christ, and there, you must have had some kind of understanding when you came to Jesus, and because you. You wanted that transformation, right? Yeah. And so yeah. there, there, there must have been something about that. Um, in any case, I, I, I started to realize, like, I don't know much about this, like, union with Jesus. My identity mm-hmm. is in Jesus. I've yeah. died and risen with Christ because He died in ahead of me, mm-hmm. not so much instead of me. And mm-hmm. and it was to restore uh, the the. Mm-hmm. The person God wanted me to become, and so uh, as an Asian American, as a Japanese American, I, I realized like, oh, there's something about how the old way of thinking, what kind of mapped onto how my parents used to talk uh, mm-hmm. and motivate me. Like, mm-hmm. don't you know how much we've sacrificed for you as your parents? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I did right. I mean, or I, I, I cared, uh, and I uh, am a, I was a pretty compliant kid. I mean, I had my rebellious stage, like most people, but they, but on the whole, like that really mattered. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. but I also felt tricked. Like I didn't ask for that. Um, yeah. And also like, well, you, you came to this country because of, of you, mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not just for me. So, um, hmm. so this whole thing, uh, like I, I felt like there was this, um, uh guilt obligation right like this feeling of debt obligation like Mm -hmm. i could i can never really repay this and but you're going to hold it over me Mm -hmm. um forever and so and and that also i i realized like oh in the in the mouths of some asian american preachers and pastors from the pulpit it sounds like that's how jesus communicates or that's how Mm -hmm. god communicates don't you know how much Mm -hmm. i have sacrificed for you mm-hmm. and and so i want you to feel this overwhelming debt obligation yeah so that then you'll do the things i want and <clears throat> and again roman 6 was like i i don't see paul using this and then i looked at a whole bunch of other things like in scripture uh second corinthians 3 through 5 mm-hmm. uh first corinthians 6 um of ephesians 1 through 3 and and found like yeah you know what paul does not speak that way to his congregation like he he motivates them out of a sense of hope Mm -hmm. out of a sense of agreement and um uh, uh, a vision that god is restoring us to to who he wants us to be as opposed to there was this retributive punishment that you should have got (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> because God is so dang backward looking. Uh, this is the only way you could continue to exist. So in a nutshell, like that mm-hmm. really flipped me around because I started to realize um, that in my own heart, the way I would talk to myself, the way I would motivate myself, the way I would, as a, as a young Christian, motivate other people was based on um, this backward looking retributive yeah. justice oriented thing. Uh, where it was all, it always felt like your survival was at stake. And, 
Um, and, and instead, there was a whole bunch of other emotional uh, health and development and life that came as a result of understanding our union with Christ, mm -hmm. uh, God's desire for restorative mm -hmm. uh, relationship, and, and there, that there was still accountability, um, but it was for my future development and for the sake of others. So that, I, I hope that gets yeah. at your question, Kim. I think that might be the best explanation in the word choice. I really appreciate that of helping us understand because I, I think what you just said is why people are leaving the church. I think this idea of this punitive God in this idea that it's a debt I'll never repay and it's all about sacrifice and service, not relationship. Right. And I love your word choice. Now, thank you for that. I just preached at my church two weeks ago, and so much what I talked about was what you said, but you said it better, of course, in the sense of this idea, if I'm a new creation, like what, what that really means in this understanding of death of self, neglect of self, denial of self really fits for people a lot of times based on their childhood. They've already been taught right. neglect of self. Therefore, to hear it in Scripture just fits what's already within their system. And so just, and, and also just want to say this, that, you know, people either are past thinkers, present thinkers, or forward thinkers. And so just the way you presented that, as one of people who are more past thinkers, it makes it even easier for them to believe that God is punitive. Right. And just so many factors come in of why we hear scripture and it just settles well with us to hear that God is mad at us. Right. Right. Yeah. How did your culture come into your initial understanding of authority, which would be parents, and then that gets transferred to God? How did that happen for you? I'd say, you know, on the whole, uh, when I was young, of, of course, I, I didn't really question how that uh, motivation yeah. was kind of landing on me and, mm -hmm. and shaping my heart and, and shaping grooves into my heart so that mm -hmm. I I responded to uh, other people's sacrifice, right? Like yeah. it mattered. And, right. and it, to this day, uh, it, it matters. It affects me. Yeah. Um, sure. I think of... Um, I, I think of... Uh, Mother Teresa or, or other people who have laid down their lives and served others. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just feel I'm in awe. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I'm, I'm definitely grateful for that type of training, but I think that the, the impact, the, the way it kind of cut deeply was to say <clears throat> um, there, you know, this was, this was just for you. And, and we want to make mm -hmm. you feel indebted. Um, mm -hmm. so like kind of the pay it back mm -hmm. instead of the pay it forward. Right. right? That's like good. that's good. We are in it, it, because what it could have been was we're investing this in you because you matter and because mm -hmm. so do others. Mm -hmm. And we want you to pay it forward, mm -hmm. uh, which I, I see that more in, mm -hmm. in scripture. Um, there's more than that, of course, but the, sure. <clears throat> but as far as my cultural upbringing, there was a moment um, I started to realize something is fishy here when yeah. um, I was a competitive swimmer for, for 10 years and I was coming home from a swim meet that I, I did poorly in and I was really bummed out. Yeah. My, I, I remember something about my, my parents uh, turning around in the car and saying to me, like, do you know how much we're paying to, keep you swimming. Yeah. And <clears throat> I felt like, well, uh, yes and no. I mean, and I'm mad that you're, you're putting that on me, right? Like mm -hmm. as if mm -hmm. you care about this more than me. Right. Um, you know, because I was the kind of kid I, and I understand like the relationship could have been different. I could have been a different kind of person, but, but in this particular case, like I cared a lot and yeah, um, and yet I I realized like there's something there's something I don't like about this, mm -hmm. um, and th this kind of motivation and yeah. Um, yeah, it it and the it was the assumption that I don't want to grow. Mm. Yeah, that's right? good. Like, yeah, yeah, and that got 
I, I recognize in uh, certain articulations of the gospel or, or what some, some people mean when mm-hmm. they say Jesus died for you is mm-hmm. to, is, is I assume that you don't want to grow. Yeah. And so I'm going to make you feel first guilty and, and then relieved, right? Mm-hmm. Guilty that like you broke God's law. Mm-hmm. And then you should feel anxi- anxiety, actually, um, mm-hmm. and then relief that Jesus took the this retributive punishment in right. in your place, and then gratitude that He's like willing to let you exist. Right. So the I, I recognize, you know, there's something very strange about that. Like it it keeps us small emotionally because it mm-hmm. it focuses mm-hmm. us on survival emotions right that's right it also assumes that we don't want to grow and therefore we have to be kind of psychologically motivated or i would say mm-hmm. psychologically tricked yeah. into wanting to grow right uh like your survival is that so so mm-hmm. there's a kind of oh i don't know what what is that syndrome stockholm syndrome what, where like you you're supposed to fall in love, like, or it's possible right. to right. to sympathize or even fall in love with someone who kidnaps you or threatens you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a a way that that can happen, and it seems like isn't that what that articulation of Jesus's death means? It's, yeah. it's the, I guess, penal substitutionary atonement is what it's commonly called. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, um, so I think that there is a medical substitutionary atonement. Right, like that, mm. God has always, since the fall, tried to heal us uh, with our partnership, but we're stubborn. We're uncooperative patients, and, right? right. <laughs> um, and Israel was a medical focus group of sorts. God gave them a demanding health regimen, and uh, but they couldn't do it because there's a part of them that resisted. But they did take it on to some degree, and. And Jesus uh, fulfilled that responsibility and mm-hmm. uh, and changed his human nature. Like he pressed the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit into every nook and cranny through his own faithfulness mm-hmm. so that his human nature could be healed from the sin sickness. And then he could share his himself and his humanity with us by his spirit. And so that, that but that leads to a different motivation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, such that his death and resurrection were, uh, uh, it accomplished a medical purpose relative to our human nature. So that the thing that we've been longing for, even if we haven't known it, even if fully, if we haven't um, totally embraced it, like there's some way in which we have wanted mm-hmm. beauty and goodness and life and connectedness, belonging and, and justice and, and order and and so that whole thing um, started for for me. I, w- I would say in in my twenties in the mm-hmm. some of the stories that I mentioned. No, I think that's great. And in, in even you bringing up medical, I think kind of walks us into part of why you and I decided to sit here today. And not that I want it to just be focused on that because you're so complex. There's so much more to you. But you are the author of abortion policy in Christian social et- ethics oh, in my. the United States. Right, you. Yeah. You wrote this book, and so we know that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. We know that abortion is a medical procedure, a medical term, and that tying that into early church, Christian ethics, where we are right now, can you expand on that? Because so many of us, and again, by no means means we are pro-abortion, but so many of us, are, especially as women, are incredibly hurt and don't know how to experience freedom with the overturn oh gosh well it it is such a um tragic unfolding i i think Mm -hmm. of um uh, of the dobbs decision Mm -hmm. and i think you know Starting from the the big picture, uh, and I'll get into some of the nitty gritty. But you know whether we adopt a retributive or restorative posture mm-hmm. towards these issues really matters. And yes, it does. Um, 
you know, uh, just on on the level of uh, there, there's so many uh, issues that uh, as I was studying some of the issues uh, uh, from a biblical perspective, from a church historical perspective, but but also from a contemporary perspective. What, what reasons mm-hmm. do people give when they they say that they're getting an abortion or that their family wants them to get like what are the mm-hmm. what are those reasons? And mm-hmm. um, I think it it pushes me to see abortion policy primarily um, in a restorative framework, which means public health and social welfare, mm-hmm. as opposed to a retributive framework, which is let's put it in the criminal justice category. Right. Like this is this is something that definitely someone should get punished for and and uh, shamed for. So the 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 posture that we take towards uh, the issue, broadly speaking, Mm -hmm. uh, has has a lot to do with what what kind of justice do we think God has? Is it Mm. retributive or restorative? Yeah. So um, and and to just delve into one of those. Uh, areas, uh, just mention one of them, is is that uh, there's a real contrast between the Catholic pro-life movement of the 30s and 40s and the Protestant pro-life movement or anti-abortion movement of the Mm -hmm. 80s and onward, which we are living in right now. Uh, The Catholics saw the Great Depression as causing the abortion rate to spike because, of course, people are afraid to bring children into the world when they don't have hope. Right. Uh, and so for the Catholics, they um, it, it's not that I agree with everything about their approach and their decision making, but they believed that they that abortion drove. Uh, I'm sorry, poverty drove abortion. Mm. And so you had to attack poverty as one of the root causes um, uh, of abortion. So, <clears throat> you know, they got behind the New Deal and and they were pro labor and small democracy of small businesses and let's raise the minimum wage and and all of that um they let's use the federal government to mm-hmm. accomplish some of those goals mm-hmm. and uh they were not afraid of that but in the 80s you know the the protestants largely got behind ronald reagan who repositioned the abortion policy debate into a framework of dismantling the new deal and uh because it was a framework of capitalism and criminalization, mm. right? It's meritocracy and retribution. So, so what happened? Well, um, uh, the Richard Vigari, uh, Paul Weirich, and Jerry Falwell, the leaders of the re- religious right, um, explicitly said that we use abortion to get people to feel like disgust. Right. Like you're a baby killer. And then from there you ask, well, why are people getting abortions? And it's not because, well, there's a lot of complicated reasons or it's not because actually in church history, there has been a a a very meaningful debate about like, oh, ensoulment happens after conception at some later point. And and we don't know when that is, but. You know, it, so it's not any of those things, which would be historically accurate. Mm. Um, and and actually, you know, there are two biblical manuscripts of Exodus 21, the Hebrew and the Greek, and they don't even agree about right. what what is the moral weight of the fetus at what point in time, mm-hmm. which we could get into later. Mm. Instead, they they said that abortion happens because of atheism. People aren't trusting God. And therefore, like it's atheism. So we all want to fight atheism and because we want to fight communism. So Mm -hmm. essentially this tied into Reagan's big goal of fighting the Soviet Union and dismantling the welfare state and locking a lot of people up, especially people of color. So capitalism and criminalization. Abortion then takes its position in that new framework. And this is why people feel like, uh, well, Protestants especially feel like um, if, if you have a kid before you're ready, if you have, if you're having sex before you should, then you should be punished like with parenthood right? yeah. or, uh, mm-hmm. or economic hardship mm-hmm. that should be like mm-hmm. poverty should be the looming threat. It's the mm-hmm. stick motivation, right? Well, it's shaming. How shaming is it's that? Shaming. Right? Yeah. yeah. It should be there mm-hmm. in order to, uh, give you the consequences. So in other words, um, abortion 
and and poverty then get, got flipped around the relationship. Like mm. it mm. it needs to be there in order to help people not have an abortion. So which do you believe about right. what's the relationship between poverty and abortion? Does poverty drive abortions or does poverty need to be there as a threat so that people don't get abortion, like don't mm. have sex? And, mm-hmm. and that's just one of the many issues that I, I think we have gotten totally um, backward and mm-hmm. it's counterproductive. Like mm-hmm. it actually causes the abortion rate to go up to, right. to uh, put it into that framework of capitalism and criminalization. Wow. So that is just one of the many um, problems and mm-hmm. that we're not even getting into uh, the of patriarchy and the dynamics of men and women, how to, mm-hmm. how to scripture and church history give it mm-hmm. any indication about that and the moral value of the fetus and, mm-hmm. and so on. So well, yes. you, you lead in this conversation, Kim. Sure. All right. So here's the thing as a therapist in private practice. So after this, the people that came in, um, women in one man who have sexual assault histories, yep. who came in and felt got incredibly triggered over the overturn. The pain that they experienced of feeling the loss of choice again, Yeah, which is so much about, you know, when we feel safe, we have voice and we have choice. And that being taken away, not any of these people were needed, needed to have that, have an abortion. It was just a sense of loss of body function and loss of choice over body that really was triggering for people. Yeah. And, the other piece is it's very difficult to trust government. This comes this comes into trust when in North Carolina, and I know you know this, there's a law that says if I give consent to a man to have sex with me, and and during the actual sexual intercourse, I change my mind for whatever reason, that he doesn't have to stop. Now that's rape. But no, in right. North Carolina, it's not. So it's really hard for those of us who have that level of understanding and have had our bodies misused by men that didn't hear men are making decisions that are comfortable for them and actually call this additional hardship. I don't know how to console that level of pain within so many people, but particularly women. The, um, the I, 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 and I think this is where I, you know, I am shocked at how the discussion goes about the exceptions, right? Like rape mm-hmm. and incest are, are, at least among Protestants, those were typically um, viewed as, as exceptions to the rape laws, because mm-hmm. if you didn't have choice in becoming pregnant, then you should have choice in remaining pregnant. And uh, today, it, it's interesting to see how so many um, people, including some conservatives and, and Christian conservatives, say, you know, well, two wrongs don't make a right. And mm-hmm. so you should have mm-hmm. to carry the child mm-hmm. of your rapist. Yeah. Uh, that's the, that's an an extreme position. You know, we, we could look at that through different angles. Uh, I, I, for example, biblically that that's just not how Jewish law thought about the relationship between the Mm -hmm. fetus and legitimacy, Mm -hmm. but, um, also, um, from a therapeutic standpoint, I, well, I, I commiserate with you and Mm -hmm. my wife and other, others who are therapists, because Mm -hmm. that kind of trauma is, is hard to deal with in an environment that um, kind of continues to be menacing now mm-hmm. the and in different ways so the um, so I, I don't necessarily know I can't claim to know mm-hmm. you know how how to treat that in a from a therapeutic sense but mm-hmm. the um, brought it in a biblical uh, moral foundation sense that uh, you know the Jewish community has recognized like legitimacy mm. is really important. I mean, in Numbers five and Deuteronomy uh, twenty three, twenty two, I believe it, it was le- le- the legitimacy of the um, 
of the the fetus, uh, whether married or you know, or or the result of adultery. And in that case, like that's really important. Mm-hmm. And so, to the point where the state of Israel today actually um, has a, a pretty generous, what I think we would call as Americans a generous abortion policy. They have a nationally funded health plan, and I, I believe it's uh, you know women under 19, 19 and under and 40 and over can mm. access abortion. Um, and uh, if it, an abortion is provided under the typical exceptions and, and more, uh, rape, incest, fetal abnormality, and so on, but also um, that if, if a woman has conceived in adultery, uh, she can pay half and the national health plan will pay half the cost of the abortion, right? Like this is a taxpayer funded national health plan. Mm. It covers all of these other cases. And even in the case of an illegitimate conception, it will cover half. Wow. That's remarkable. That is remarkable. I did not know that. So, So it, it's a, it's a there's a different sensibility, right. I, I think, because the Jewish tradition takes into account more uh, biblical data right. and touch points and and situations, and uh, I would it, say especially the Protestant tradition tends to make assumptions mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to en- engage with Scripture very deeply. Right. Well, and and there's just this feeling of. Because you know, so much of my walk with the Lord is is becoming whole. It's being my my essence, my whole self, which means I have to look at the parts of me and the parts of my my history and different things. And so, in making this decision of overturn versus Wade, it feels like it was a very narrow focus. It was about power, money, different things versus looking at how many different situations that that women and men get into. And just right. just knowing the the pain that people are carrying, and that no matter, and again, I, I wish there weren't sides. I, I wish we didn't talk about sides versus taking care of each other, being there for each other. Right, and it becomes more about about sides versus the whole the whole picture. And that's one reason I'm so feel so privileged that you would spend time with us because I feel like from in your book and look at things, you look at the whole of all of it. So that people are allowed to be whole. Yeah. Right. So there's yeah. there's just so much more to it than than what we know. There's so you you have so much more vast knowledge than my understanding. So how how do we heal? How do we serve each other and be there for each other with something that we can't listen? We, we won't even hear each other. We won't even stay in the conversation with each other. That's right. Well, I, I think part of uh, the heart of God in restorative justice is the restoration of relationship. And if that's essential to who we are, then we we can't take an individualistic view of the uh, complex, many complex reasons why mm-hmm. people have abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to have a very textured relational view. and. Right. Uh, care about all of the, the reasons that are given. Right. <clears throat> and it's, you know, it's, it's not that it, it's not that I personally would endorse all the possible reasons either. But for example, sure. you know, in the book, I talk about my discomfort with um, abortion of down syndrome, um, you know, fetuses. Right. And, and uh, you know, I understand other countries handle that differently, but the, <clears throat> but the, uh, the, but I think even there, I mean, we have to ask questions, or at least I feel compelled mm-hmm. to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Well, do parents of Down syndrome kids have access to services and support? Like, that's really tough. If mm-hmm. if a woman is a single mother and raising a Down syndrome kid, like, how how does she do that? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know any. I mean, I do know parents of Down kids. Uh, they all happen to be married. Yeah. Uh, can I imagine that as a single parent? Mm. Mm, barely, right? Like, yeah. I, yeah. so, so I have a lot of contingencies in, in terms of like, well, here are these different principles that I, 
a value. Mm -hmm. uh, but in terms of the policy outworking, like a lot of things need to be put in place. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I think it's be because today's anti-abortion movement has been has put things into the framework of capitalism and criminalization, which mm -hmm. is all about punishing individual actions mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to let's take a preventative approach. Let's take a restorative. Let, let's take a public health, social, social welfare approach. Um, instead, it, it takes a punitive approach. Uh, then it's sadly the case that the states that pass the harshest, most hardline anti-abortion laws also have the worst maternal health stats, the worst, Interesting. Uh, you know, like huh. uh, neonatal stats, um, because they there's a sensibility of we don't want mm -hmm. to publicly fund social services mm -hmm. or invest in people in a collective sense. Mm -hmm. We take an individualistic approach, um, and even to the point where some people believe that taxation is theft. Mm -hmm. Like, well, look, I, 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 I deserve every cent I have. Never mind the fact that Amazon, for instance makes all its money based on computers, which were funded by the Department of Defense, the internet, which was defund mm. funded by the Department of Defense, all of their drivers, uh, uh, you know, uh, use publicly funded roads and mm -hmm. highways. And so there's, there's, there's not a sense of, I need to recognize that like my, that I stand on the shoulders of many other people, in fact, all taxpayers, mm. <laughs> right? And so, right, th right. but there is yeah. very little right. acknowledgement of that, again, because mm. of this Reagan-esque mm. capitalism, neoliberal capitalism and, and criminalization, which says like, no, I did it by myself. Yeah. Um, I'm the hero of my own story. Right. So right. it's very difficult and I'm, deeply concerned about the, those states adding, like Texas, uh, re really harsh anti-abortion laws and vigilante enforcement mechanisms, mm -hmm. it, turning citizens against mm -hmm. each other. Are we going to surveil women now? Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Facebook handed over data uh, of a 17-year-old. So it, it is uh, frightening. It, it is, and I... I probably don't know enough about this to talk about it, but I'll do it anyway. But I understand that there was a very young child. I think she was 10 in the state of Ohio recently yes. who was raped and the perpetrator confessed. And even the media, when they first reported on it, the first two media outlets, in my understanding, said that she probably was lying. And then it became public, public about if she was allowed to have an abortion or not. So the most invasive thing that you carry in your body for the rest of your life in a traumatized state and the most personal decision that that family had to make was public and that men who never have to know what this is like in that sense of being raped and impregnated were publicly speaking about what she should, the shame word of the year, should do. That's right. And it's uh, it. And this is the case of the the girl whose parents took her to Indiana, I, I believe, in order because it was still uh, legal there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so thankfully, and and she was, what, eight, nine weeks along. So correct. The it, it's so troubling on a number of levels. Um, mm -hmm. uh, obviously, what, what you said, just the deeply personal nature mm -hmm. and and the. <clears throat> The way in which then maybe she, I don't know if she's maybe too young to realize it now, but how much her life was under public scrutiny public that scrutiny. by itself is terrifying. Itself. It is. And <clears throat> and then, you know, that that the uh, I, I think the next thing that stood out to me about that story was that the, the doctor who performed the abortion in mm. Indiana then became uh, was threatened by the. Wow attorney general of the state or uh, w whatever role, the DA mm -hmm. or, or something like that, who mm -hmm. is uh, uh, um, making, who did it mostly because of political 
uh, intimidation reasons. Mm. Um, and, you know, she shot back and, um, I think, I think she filed a lawsuit claiming intimidation and harassment, which, Good. which yeah. was right. so, uh, you know, like the, the, the DA accused her just to be thorough. Um, the, the DA, I believe accused her of not following all the proper procedures of mm-hmm. like, Hey, if there is a, uh, accusation of rape, then you need to, um, tell the, the, the authorities you have to fill out this form. The DA was like, ah, she probably didn't even do that or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. It turns out she did follow all the proper procedures. Right. So, um, you know, but that's the kind of bullying and intimidation that can happen there. Mm-hmm. And it it does highlight the fact that um, rape is certainly underreported and, and mm-hmm. that women who are raped are often um, not willing to go to the police because the chances of convicting a rapist are oh. so small, like they're minuscule because the, the burden of proof is is really high. Right. Uh, most rapists don't confess that they raped mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, their victim. And so. And uh, we are a victim blaming society, right. you know, and just the idea. And, and we, we very quickly will be dismissive, whether it's a small thing or a large thing. Uh, I saw a friend of mine, someone I have great respect for recently posted on Facebook, just the fact of how girls were dressing in middle school and how that was going to affect her son. It took everything in me to not explode on that because how I dress is not anybody. I'm not responsible for how you are experiencing life looking at me based on how I'm dressed. Like that is your responsibility. So we are still so inundated with this idea of victim blaming and deciding that women have no power in society except for our bodies. And then this happens. And even that takes away our idea of having power over how to treat our bodies or how someone else is going to treat our bodies. Right. And so I think the complexity of this is just so deep that, and I know this is your expertise. And so how do you detox from this? How do you take care of yourself and reconnect to yourself knowing that you're got all this knowledge and you're helping people by being on podcasts and doing things, but how do you hold this? (laughs) That is a great question. (laughs) I, I will answer as a Christian and mm-hmm. as someone who experiences the love of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I'm sure some of these things are generalizable just because we're human, but sure. the, um, but there are certain things that I think are, are really important uh, in relation to Jesus. So the, the more general things are, um, yeah. I mean, there are times where mm-hmm. I really need to unplug Um right. The news is, uh, I would say, I don't have very many addictive behaviors. But one of them can be like reading the news. Yeah, and, true. Um, uh, and, and it's infuriating, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, there, there is a kind of rush, and I recognize this about myself, and I need to unplug from that. Um, there are spiritual practices that help me recenter on who is Jesus, Mm -hmm. Um, so some of them would be reading the new Testament. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I love uh, scripture. I love scripture. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. I, and I, I recognize that for most people, Mm -hmm. um, reading the Bible is a difficult thing if you, if you're really seeking to understand. And so, um, so, you know, I did wrestle with it quite, quite a bit, Mm -hmm. um, uh, in terms of its literary quality, its historical value, and all these things, but uh, but that's very. Um, it has become a delight uh, mm-hmm. to be reminded that I live in a, a story where good triumphs over evil, where there is that's a right. good God who yeah. will triumph over evil. That I'm not the one responsible right. um, for that. I may bear witness to mm-hmm. it, that and mm-hmm. that the decisive victory that this God has won has been as a human and as it relates to cleaning the corruption out of human nature. And so I, I get to participate in that. Mm. I point to Jesus as 
evidence of the love of God and evidence mm-hmm. of a future victory that is deep and profound and um, <clears throat> and still inspiring. So, yeah. so there's that. There, there's also you know things like um, I light a candle uh, sometimes mm-hmm. at night when I feel mm-hmm. like my uh, the images in my head need to be replaced by something beautiful because I mm. I tend to be a perfectionist and um, I, I can focus very easily on things that look broken or that uh, out there in the world that feel broken to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> including graphs and charts. And so the, to, to not, not to forget about, but, but to de- kind of decenter all mm-hmm. of that so that, I, you know, I can focus on the love of God and uh, the power of God. Yeah. A flickering candle flame yeah, is something I think is very beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. I love photography. Uh, I'm not very good at it, I would say, but um, but but I do enjoy it. It it helps me see uh, the beauty of God reflected in creation. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a wife, two biological kids, one foster. Uh, daughter that I, I I do enjoy spending time with, and yeah. um, we we do things like <clears throat> you know watch Marvel movies and oh, yeah. Um, yeah a whole bunch of other things, play games. So yeah. so there's there's those things, mm-hmm. um, and again, some of that I, I'm sure is generalizable, but um, I, I really want to you know underscore as a Jesus follower. I, I really do experience the love of Jesus uh, mm-hmm. in all those things, especially in being reminded by him of like, this is the story that I live in. He's yeah. the main character. Mm-hmm. Every person is valuable, has accountability, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and they're not simply projects of mine. Mm-hmm. And they're loved by him. So, so I know that probably sounds somewhat simplistic, but that is, that's somewhat real. Um, Yeah. I think so much part of being like, we're called to be on a a growth path. We're called into love and it's the simple things that help regulate us. Right. It's just very easy with all that you're doing, all that I do in this world too, that stay, to stay dysregulated. But the calling is to be regulated, to take time to, you know, Jesus took time and went away from everybody and, and prayed and spent time with God. Like, so I know that's something that all of us have to do. And I feel like that's just what you that's explained right. really well. Of like, how, how do we get restored right. so that you can go teach about restorative justice so you can go do exactly what, what you're called to do. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We got to have fun. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I'm, uh, I have a friend who is a, has taken up woodworking as a hobby and he's taught mm-hmm. me about different trees and, and wood mm-hmm. and how to work with them. I, I And so uh, now that I, uh, now that he's, he can share his tools with me. I'm I'm thinking about that, but that that's another way of seeing the beauty in the grains mm-hmm. of wood. Yeah, and yeah. Like what we're able to do in partnership with creation. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's mean, a great way to get grounded. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really like it. Hey, I read that you live in a Christian community, or that you had moved at one point to a Christian community. Can you just my curiosities on that elaborate on on defining Christian community? I think the um, the way that that my wife and I have experienced it and and defined it have to do with um, uh, intentional Christian community in our household. So mm-hmm. in in our home. Mm-hmm. So um, the the there there have been two major seasons of life like this um, for for me. Um, well, maybe three. I mean, when I when I first came to Jesus, I, I met um, John and Gail Yoshimine and their two friends, Bryce and uh, Bruce. They lived in a house together in Anaheim, California, a uh, typical suburban house. I had never um, seen uh, a community like that and, and mm-hmm. uh, where it wasn't just the nuclear family, in other words. Mm-hmm. so um, But it made a lot of sense to me because, <clears throat> for example, Bryce, uh, I, I remember him saying, uh, that he he would probably not have been able to afford to switch careers from engineer to a high school teacher mm. unless he lived in Christian community because mm. that made it affordable. Right. Uh, and that that made sense to me. 
And yeah. uh, I would, anytime I went over, there was someone to talk to, uh, which was important mm. because I was mm-hmm. at the time 17, 18 mm. uh, and up. And uh, my, my parents' marriage was uh, breaking apart during that time. And, and also, you know, all those, every, everyone um, was able to play guitar and taught me how to play guitar. <laughs> so oh, that's great. It, and, and I saw this household, huh. um, be a major hub of friendships and community mm-hmm. for the the church, the particular mm-hmm. church that we were part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would have tamale parties, for example. And mm-hmm. um, it was really fun. I, I realized later that they were, uh, at least John and Gail, were kind of like 19, like leftovers from the the Jesus people of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah. And, but they were inspired by other people before them. Mm. Uh, and this kind of goes back a long ways, in fact, to the early church. But the, um, the, the, way, the assumption that the nuclear family lives together, I, I felt like, um, oh, I could see a lot of, well, I could see reasons for why in, in some seasons that's important. And uh, it's not, there's not a judgment on people who, who do mm-hmm. live that mm-hmm. way. But uh, to the extent that we had more emotional bandwidth, even though my wife and I are both introverts, mm-hmm. um, I, we wanted to to do it. So in Boston, when we got married in '99, in the year 2000, we bought a um, triple decker house in a in a neighborhood that used to be lower income Irish. Uh-huh. It is now mostly black uh, with some Latino. Uh-huh. Although you know Boston, many areas of of uh, Boston in the neighborhoods that we are in Dorchester, Roxbury, and Mattapan are, are gentrifying because of just mm-hmm. how ridiculous our housing mm-hmm. um, market is and ha- housing policy. But the, um, so it, it is, um, it was something back in the, in 2000 that we felt like, okay, our, this neighborhood is not likely to change, um, mm-hmm. which is important to us. We wanted to um, learn from, black churches and black Christian leaders. Mm. Uh, we also wanted to be in the midst of uh, uh, neighbors that we wanted to reach out to. And we did different things uh, like Bible clubs for kids. Mm. Um, we started a community garden by converting the vacant lot right next door, mm. um, helped yeah. start some neighborhood meetings uh, to get started and uh, along with many other neighbors. Uh, this yeah. was not our initiative. The, and in in the process, we, we brought together um, uh, a, a large number of, of Christians who wanted to also be a blessing to the neighborhood mm. and to other people and mm. to use our physical space in ways that were creative and and for the Lord. Yeah. So at one at one point in time, our house had uh, 19 people in it. Wow. Uh, it is it's a triple decker house with. Yeah. Um, yeah. A half finished basement. So there's a total of there's like three bedrooms, a, a bat and a bathroom on every floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that gives you a sense for, you know, how we did that. Uh, we're multi-ethnic mm-hmm. uh, and, and that really mattered because mm-hmm. I, I think for uh, being in a black neighborhood, we didn't want to simply be gentrifiers. Uh, and, you know, on that point, over the last 20 years, we've been able to uh charge lower rent um, ever since we bought the house and uh, help people pay off debt and build up assets wow. so that they themselves could also save enough to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And so there have been uh, a few people that that we've been fortunate enough to, to partner with, and they were able to buy a multifamily house of their own so that they could do the same. And so it's become a part of this home ownership uh multiplication movement that mm-hmm. uh especially for black and brown households and yeah. families that's been really really significant uh we're really glad for that and um we're thinking about different ways to continue it that so, is so inspirational i love that influence and the multiplication of it right that's that's what it's about like i can just right. think of the story of the of the loads and, and the fish and the multiplication of that like you just really brought that to life that's right. Yeah, I love that. That is amazing. God bless you and your wife for doing that. That's amazing. Well, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, yeah. our, our kids have grown up with a lot of really wonderful adults and mm-hmm. high quality people. Like mm-hmm. you, you would you would just want 
your children to to know mm. high quality adults uh, you yeah. know and and there's they have a sense for oh this is what christian community this is what life really is like mm. as christians it, yeah. it's about sharing it's about partnering together knowing mm. one another mm. um in these ways so yeah. so yeah i i feel privileged i feel very mm. blessed um mm-hmm. and and you know have have learned a few things as a result uh, yeah yeah i bet you have <laughs> but there's a lot you can write a book just on that right <clears throat> yeah that is so good well thank you for your high level of compassion and there's great intellect there and experience but the compassion is just exudes and it's so evident so um mako i'm gonna throw you in the hot seat this is what i do to everybody i'm a therapist what we do to people just as we close up i'll put you in the hot seat i'm gonna ask you a few simple questions and just whatever okay. comes to mind first is your answer all right okay Okay. So, what is your favorite binge-worthy show? My favorite binge-worthy show? Yeah. Um, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Very good. Yeah. What surprises people the most about you? Oh, good question. Um, <clears throat> probably uh, that I'm a foodie. I, I'm a foodie. I like cooking, but I like eating even more. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> I love it. What surprises you the most about you? Um, <clears throat> oh gosh. Well, from a from a spiritual standpoint, that 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 I still get easily annoyed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Still got that um, human thing going on. It is. Yeah. It's so yeah. human. Yeah. Um, and and I think just in a, in a general sense, <clears throat> um, I'm well. I'm fifty, and mm-hmm. so I'm feeling the limitations of my body. Mm-hmm. Like a few years ago, mm-hmm. I took a hike and I tried to keep up with my kids on the downhill part. We were at Zion National Park, right? And the next day, I woke up and I almost <laughs> could not walk. <laughs> These were in such pain. So there's just new limitations that yeah. I'm, I'm facing yeah. that uh, surprise me. I'm with you on that. I'm not yeah. happy about it. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Very much. All right. So, you know, I love your name and I'm sure you love your name, but if you could give yourself a different name, what would it be? Ooh. Huh. <laughs> um, it, it's been a long time. I, at one point, I thought Matthew might be a yeah. cool name, right? Okay. Uh, and I I didn't always like my name because uh, first, you know, growing up with a, a Japanese name mm-hmm. in uh, uh, mostly in, in my you know the place where I grew up was mostly not Asian at the time, so um, you know that was different. Uh, ha- had me feeling differently about my name, and then I realized, mm-hmm. oh, Mako is short for Makoto, which means truth, and in Ooh. Japanese, so in the Japanese New Testament, the the phrase "I am the way, the truth, and the life" yeah. is at least one translation uses the word, the name Makoto. So uh, cool. I learned that in college, and so I kind of came, finally came to peace with my name. Yeah, that's um, good. But before that, I, I thought, you know, another M name like Matthew or something. Yeah, like that close would, enough, right? That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Matthew. Uh, thank you so much. I know our audience has been blessed uh, hearing you and educated as well. If they wanted to keep in touch with you, can you kind of throw out your website, any like Instagram handle, anything that so they can get in touch with you? Yes, absolutely. I would really enjoy that. Um, I'm, I have the typical social media uh, profile on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So my name is spelled Mako, M-A-K-O. Nagasawa, N-A-G-A-S-A-W-A. So I think uh, that's pretty easy to find. Mm-hmm. The organization that I direct is called the Anastasis Center for mm-hmm. Christian Education and Ministry. The URL is um, Anastasis Center, A-N-A-S, uh, A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-S. Anastasis means, is it's the Greek word for resurrection. Oh, I didn't um, know that. That's great. And we'll put that in our show notes as well so that people can just click on that and, and get to it. Because there's great articles there. There's a lot about healing and atonement and just different things to to help us to 
keep our minds stimulated and fresh about who God really is and part of our, our path of resurrection. So that's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank, Kevin, you. thank you so thank much you. for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate that. And I look forward to staying in touch and mm-hmm. uh, comparing notes on all this stuff. Absolutely. We will do that. Thank you. It's been, a, been an absolute privilege and pleasure. So to all of you listening, without a doubt, today you've heard something that helped you reconnect to who you really are. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.